Bitcoin's one of the most American innovations that's, you know, maybe even since the Constitution. Um, it levels the playing field completely. It's ruled, ruled by rules, not ruler. And so I think it really can be this glue that brings, brings this divided country back together. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by BlockFi. And you can now earn a $250 bonus in Bitcoin when you sign up with BlockFi, as they have recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can also earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend and you can also get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. But please do make sure you check out the terms for this. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to blockfi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since way back in early 2017. And the Nano S I bought back then, yep, I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up today, we have Gemini who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I've not sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market. And you know what? I just don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I'm a hodler. You're a hodler, right? Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Compass Mining. And you know what? They are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for three months now. I've already paid off one of my S19s, and I'm close to paying off the second one. It is so good to be back mining. And you know what? I just really love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do everything else for you. If you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Morning, CJ. Morning, Peter. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Peter. CJ, everybody knows you. You've been on a, you've been on before. I got a lot of I got a lot of interesting replies from from the the one we did with Hoddle. That was great. Really? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Status cock for? Well, it's funny because. 
Hoddle, Hoddle's been on your on your thing like six times, right? Yeah, so, maybe more than that. Yeah, so I've I've been I benefited a little bit. You know, I got maybe a couple extra followers as a result of that. So it's nice. kind of funny. Nice man. I never found your Earth Crisis walkout video. Uh, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I yeah. need to hear that. Okay, yeah. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank I love you. you. Inaugural, love you too. It's We've fun. been uh, talking about doing this for a while. Introduce yourself to people, let them know who you are. Sure, sure. Uh, Amanda Cavallari, uh, grew up in Colorado, in case that's relevant. Uh, worked quite a bit in healthcare and machine learning, then got into privacy because it was a little creepy what we were doing with some machine learning technology. Um, then through privacy, got into Bitcoin. That's how I'm here. So mm. now live in uh, Jackson, Wyoming. If anyone's a skier, let me know. You just dox yourself. Come on. I know. I did. Bitcoin. Well, it's already out there. So this, uh, is, the, too this late. is the biggest Bitcoin podcast in the world. You got to be careful. These are going to have some I stalkers. Know. That's all right. It's on the <laughs> internet already. On, They'd figure it on. out. <laughs> so you guys just wrote a book in five days. In five days. Yeah. So crazy uh, fuckers. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Song as the um, taskmaster, I guess you would say, uh, he's got experience with these book sprints. So we had talked about, you know, the policy thing and how we're doing things. Here we are in D.C., right? Not to mm -hmm. spoil any future punchlines. But um, he said, let's get some people together. And then he assembled this entirely diverse cast. We had people from different walks of life, different ages, different experience levels and different sectors. And uh, we literally, cats and dogs, fought it out for, mm -hmm. for five days from post-it notes on Monday night to a, a completed second draft on saturday morning that's insane like how many hours a day were you doing 12 oh. to 14 hours a day no you were he he would yeah, go until four in the morning yeah we were Friday up, night yeah but two, you don't sleep i don't sleep anyway yeah. so it was great it was perfect for me everyone's like oh are you guys not gonna sleep and i'm like welcome to my game motherfuckers you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great yeah. he's bringing up the vibe like we were all getting tired and then cj'd like come in with something and we'd be like all right i, I would got be standing in the back of the room us. pacing you know what i mean <laughs> like a like a captured animal just like stalking the the couch, and, uh, and I would just come up with ideas, and I was like doing like I was like trying to pump myself up a little bit. But Jimmy had the Jimmy had a really interesting theory, which is like when you work out with other people, you know, you kind of vibe off of that thing because it's a competitive deal for for you know guys. The funniest thing is we ate the same thing every day for lunch. We had brisket, ribs, and sausage every day. And Jimmy would be like, "Jimmy's song, I expect nothing less." Exactly. He's like Mr. Carnival, right? He's like, he's like, well, this place, I really like the the. You know, this one's a little more peppery, and then the next day he's like, this one's a little more sweet, and then you know he had like, it was like, okay, it's the same, the it, same fucking shit same every thing. day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love Jimmy. Did did he bring any? Did he bring his ice cream? No, he didn't. No, he gave this whole story about pemmican, which is basically like this carnivore survivalist thing where you mix like the the buffalo meat and the fat of the buffalo and then it like congeals and you carry it around in a bladder and he's like that's and that's how they got to the north pole and there's like this whole eskimo history thing it was really interesting he like he makes ice cream out of i don't know what it is but it's like carnivore ice cream so. it's like it's like buffalo fat or something yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like no it's the best ice cream <laughs> well when we were at the beef steak right so uh -huh. we did the beef steak thing um it was like that was that was his element you know yeah. it's, it's funny because so jimmy only eats meat i know only we we went to we went to dinner in miami at the conference and I had a salad. He goes, you're getting a salad? I was like, am I not allowed to eat salad? Because I, I like, I eat salad and meat, you know? He's like, paleo is like a halfway thing. You just go all the way. Just meat only. And then, fucking salad eating heathen. Yeah, exactly. So when's the book out? When, when do we get to read it? Um, January? Well, I think we're going to do an official release. We want to do a Kickstarter, I think, similar to what VJ and, uh -huh. and Safe have done. Um, mostly because like it, it allows us to give it a little more time to create an experience around it. 
the book is is written towards DC staffers and people because here we are and this uh -huh. is a big deal. So Amanda and Jimmy and I and, and uh, a couple other people formed the Bitcoin Today Coalition uh, to educate people on Capitol Hill about Bitcoin because we feel like a lot of the information out there is like just bad information uh -huh. and a lot of FUD and stuff like that. So now we're like literally knocking on doors in the Senate, knocking on doors in Congress and saying, hey, this is what Bitcoin is. And then now we can actually give them something and be sort of self-referential to say, hey, there's this book and written by these people and Pete Rizzo is another one of the um, – authors and he's he's fantastic he's a fantastic he's amazing writer. he's, he's so good he's great and he's like a historian yep. you know so he's got so many stories about like what happened in really all these different cycles and phases whereas like realistically you know like i came in bitcoin in 2018 so i i don't i don't personally know any of these people from the earlier stories so i don't you know i wasn't there i, I, I can read it but a lot of us are just reading it through his his lens as a journalist did, did he tell you why he's doing this historian thing no, why? So when I interviewed him last time, he said he feels like in the future, you know, decades ahead, mm -hmm. if Bitcoin does what we think it might do, mm -hmm. he said he feels like we're going to owe the world an explanation because not everyone's going to be happy. There right. will be winners and losers from this. Yeah, right. You know, people who are used to their you know, benefits or social security are going to be like, mm -hmm. what happened? Where did this all go? What happened? He feels like. Mm -hmm. People are going to need, need an explanation. So he's trying to document everything that happened, the decisions that were made and why. And right. I think that's like a noble yeah. cause. Yeah. And him and I stayed up really late one night talking. I kind of like, I kind of kept him past his bedtime, like getting some of the stories. <laughs> and one of the things that was really interesting was he said there's so many, so many times that it could have gone wrong. Uh -huh. There's so many times that it could have bricked. And there's, you know, he's got a whole narrative. I don't, I'm not going to spoil it. It should him, not so. have survived. There's, it, but, but just like humanity, right? So mm -hmm. there's these things to say that, like how gnarly of a of a like statistical chance are we here for, right? How many other planets are there that could just theoretically sustain life? You know, so the people that have this either whether it's a creationist or an evolutionary argument, like okay, there was asteroids and volcanoes, and there's we have a molten core and we have an ozone layer and we have oxygen and we have the oceans. Like, how many other places in the universe would theoretically have all of those things and be at a habitual, you know, habitable like temperature zone or whatever? Mm -hmm. So. Bitcoin has sort of like succeeded because it's had like libertarians, politicians, entrepreneurs, cypherpunks, cypherpunks, yep. coders, developers, open source, you know, so that you had a chance to like have these almost like competitions, though the best idea wins. So podcasters, it's like podcasters, yeah, because listen, <laughs> baseball players, yeah, well, baseball players. But without having that information, that access uh -huh. to information, someone like me that gets in in 2017, 2018, can look back at all these things that were said, all these things that were written, and I can grok it really fast because I, if I want to, if I want to binge watch Bitcoin, I can binge watch Bitcoin. You know, I can, I can catch up and do my sort of initial block download with with knowledge. Ooh, there you go, my yeah, initial man. block download. Amanda, we have a book title. We talked about this last night. Tell everyone the book title. Ooh, Bitcoin and the American Dream. Well, it's a very American idea, Bitcoin. I think it is, right? I agree. No offense. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, like, everything America does... But I mean, we're writing it to DC people, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah, but it's like, you know, everything America does is basically down downstream from the from right. you know, Great Britain, from the UK, where I'm from, mm -hmm. you, because we basically invented America. Sure. Pretty much. It was your it was your idea to send all the colonists here, right? So Yeah, we yeah. came here. Yeah. We created this what beautiful country. What about the country. Dutch? There were some Dutch that showed up. You know, where are they now? Where are they now? <laughs> where are they now? We created this country. Well, Vanderland, I guess he's kind of Dutch, right? Uh, Is he Dutch? We established this country. <laughs> little dispute over a tax on tea. You kick us out, and now look at the tax you're paying. Well, I think that's the thing, right? And like, now we're friends again. Yeah. We're friends again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Not with everyone. Yeah. Okay. So it's good timing because I was in DC anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did an interesting interview yesterday with Matt Stoller, opposite Peter Van Valkenburg. Yep. Okay. It's originally meant to be Michael Casey. He uh, got yeah. into a discussion with Matt Stoller about Bitcoin. And it was a great conversation because, uh, you know, Mac, uh, Michael Casey couldn't make it, but uh, Peter came with his uh, brain dump of right. history. He's and brilliant. He's just brilliant. I, 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 and he's passionate too, right? right? He's like he, yeah. gets, he gets fired up. So. Yeah, he gets very fired up. Uh, Matt Stoller uh, believes Bitcoin should be banned. And I think mm-hmm. we should talk to these people. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, mm-hmm. rather than have these people on and the YouTubers go, fuck this guy, I'm not going to make you. Like, we should have these people on. We should understand their arguments. We can sharpen our tools. And we can also kind of help educate them. And it was a good session with him. And, and Peter had to leave early. And I got another 15 minutes with Matt at the end. And whilst he thinks Bitcoin should be banned, mm-hmm. he definitely came around to some of the ideas. And he was totally sympathetic to the idea of why Bitcoin exists. Mm. His view is democracy is broken. We agreed on pretty much everything. Democracy is mm-hmm. broken. He thinks the way to fix democracy is not by uh, subverting the state with Bitcoin. My belief mm-hmm. is you can make democracy stronger with Bitcoin. Agreed. Agreed. So I guess this is why you're working on the book. Is, is that like some people yeah. were saying, why the fuck are you even talking to politicians? We're trying to get rid of these people. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's definitely been part of the narrative is sort of the anarcho-capitalist thing to say like, I'll just be in the woods. I'm going to do my thing. Don't touch me. And it was funny because one of the conversations we had internally with Annalise, who was one of the other authors, she was like, so what, what quality of life do you have if you're like, quote, living off the grid in some like, you know, hovel in the woods to hide from the government? It's just like, that's not really a good future for somebody. And then they, so you're hyper wealthy because you have Bitcoin that's like, you know, shot up in value or something like that. But then you're literally living in a wood shack with like guns in, in a Faraday cage. Like that isn't really, that's not a high quality life. So our thought process is, and you know, there is a reality, like our base level reality is that we have politicians, there's layers of politics, there's Senate staffers, there's senators, there's all these different people that have access to it. And I got in a sort of direct message, uh, I don't want to say dispute, but sort of like a, you know, a logical conversation with somebody recently. And I said, do you think it's going to be easier to hyper Bitcoinize and and have the world adopt Bitcoin? If we go out there and like door knock and get 2.5 billion people signed up as like a critical mass thing, or can we get a critical like IQ thing by getting four or 500 of the right people in DC on the Bitcoin train? And it's like, you do the numbers on that, like run the numbers, right? It's easier for us to go to people like, like a Rand Paul or somebody like that and say, and like Lummis obviously has been a, a huge advocate for it. You take these people and you give them the tools to understand it, and then they see how it can benefit their state individually. Then their state has a higher quality of life, and there's opportunities there economically that didn't exist before. For, it, it could be yeah. any industry. It could be it could be any industry. It just happens to be that Bitcoin is right place, right time for so many people, and it benefits all these other things, you know. And so that's and so we lay the book out in a sort of sequential order to say who does it help, how does it help them, you know, Main Street, disenfranchised people. Uh, how does it play on the global stage, you know, and all these things. And we kind of go through all that and explain it because it's like we we have to answer the same questions all the time. People ask all these questions and we have a chance to um, really kind of lay out a, like a chronological domino effect argument. And that that's much easier to understand. So there's something in the book for everybody, progressives and, you know, Republicans or conservatives and full on libertarians. But it comes down to like there is a political system in place, right? It exists. Like you're not going to have 30 cypherpunks overthrow that. And if you did, what would be the the, the downstream effect? Because if America breaks up and balkanizes, like some people think is a great idea, 
then you just have the authoritarian states like Russia and China are just going to lick their chops and, and they're going to the roll divide us. and conquer. Yeah, right? they, they, they would just roll us hard. So, so a united America really does make more sense. But if Bitcoin unites more of America, then that's really that's our business case. You know. Well, this is what Matt was saying yesterday is that it's important to have a strong America. Whatever right. you think about America, right. Um, right. it's very difficult to be the world's police and keep everybody happy. But yep. a strong yeah. America is really important for the stability of the world, especially in the face of uh, authoritarian states such as China and Russia, right. um, who exactly. have a very different view on the life or the way life should be lived. Mm -hmm. So a, a, a strong America is important. And a, a support for Bitcoin, it, like Bitcoin can play a role in that. Yeah, and that's why I think what you were saying earlier about Bitcoin and America going together, I think Bitcoin's one of the most American innovations that's, you know, maybe even since the Constitution. Um, it levels the playing field completely. It's rule, ruled by rules, not rulers. And this is something we haven't had with big tech, with, you know, the big banks um, for for a long time. And I think it's been hurting Americans for quite a while. And, and so it's sort of this miraculous you know, innovation or movement, whatever you want to call it, that that brings both sides together in a way that's never happened before. And so I think it really can be this glue that brings brings this divided country back together. And it's one person at a time. It's one orange pilling session at a time. So while there are 46 million Americans that own Bitcoin, um, you know, that's we basically crossed the chasm with the innovation bell curve, which is a good thing. So it means it's sticky here. Right. Odds are it'll then go to the early majority and then late adopters and then the Luddites. It'll just be like, no, we're That's never the touching Steve this. Blank. That's a Steve Blank book, Crossing the Chasm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so we basically done that with the innovation bell curve with Bitcoin in the U.S. with American adults. And so now as we move into the early majority, you know, sharing these stories of just how relevant it is. And that's why, you know, the book, probably every chapter doesn't speak to every person. I think there are going to be some chapters that resonate more with others. You know, we go into mining and how that will re revitalize the Rust Belt. Um, that's a big deal and how it will innovate, how it is innovating the, the energy industry, right? So whether it's like IP that's created through immersion cooling or, you know, it's, it's helping us build uh, and incentivize the build out of, of nuclear energy, frankly, yeah, and um, better, so better really grids and everything like that. I mean, yep. there's been so many issues with energy, and I think there's this big FUD narrative about yep. carbon and all these other things and energy usage. So we, we really try to get into that. and, and well, How Bitcoin mining can stabilize the grid. Absolutely. I mean, the, what's the what's the uh, the grid? Is it Austin or Texas? Is it Eckhart? Urquhart. Urquhart. Yeah. Urquhart, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about how Bitcoin mining will be able to stabilize the grid there because obviously it went under a lot of strain and pressure. Mm -hmm. Was it was it just last year? Last yeah, so, the freeze, yeah. So if, if everybody imagines that the grid is kind of like a hotel, mm -hmm. right? And you need a certain or, or fuck a, another a, hotel metaphor. A condo building, okay? There you go. And right. so if there's if the, if that condo building is empty, it doesn't mean the building is any less expensive to operate. Mm -hmm. You still need elevators and doormen and security and trash guys and all that stuff. So what happens is it sort of it sort of helps amortize, you know, the 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 costs because you have a constant customer, a base customer that's never going to go away. Might even demand more energy. So if you have consistency in demand then it allows you to sort of like it's budget for a bigger build out and be stronger. The problem with energy grids in general, whether it's California or Texas or anywhere else, is there's sort of like only certain places you can actually put power producing facilities. You can only you can't put a power plant like in the middle of a city because it's just sort of like aesthetically not pleasing, right? So they have the the these sort of adjunct grid uh, you know things that attach to the cities, but then if there's like 
expansion, then how do they, at what point is there a critical mass where they need to build a new one? And those things are very expensive. Who's incentivized to spend the, you know, billion dollars on a new, on a new power plant? So if Bitcoin is, is like taking a certain amount of megawatts or gigawatts or whatever, like across the state, then it allows them to sort of like play it around a little bit because you're, you're creating such a density in that one spot or maybe in a region where that's like a mining area. And it, what we're seeing in Texas specifically is that people are, are using the natural gas production from oil to use, to like mitigate flaring, which is environmentally pretty unfriendly. So they're taking the CH4 methane and they're sort of digesting that into CO2, which is a lot more stable, um, through an engine, just like a car. And because it runs through an engine, it, the way it burns, it's cleaner. And so you're taking something that was just completely waste. And now there's people that are taking that sort of methodology and they're running it off pig poop and cow poop and stuff like that, literally. And, you know, they're taking products kind of like what the ag industry does, where they're, they're always looking to innovate so there's less and less waste. You know, you want to use the you want to use the the bones for this and the the skin for this and you know like using that that kind of animal analogy again, and it allows for the grid to be like built into because you have people that are saying, hey, give me ten years of energy, and if you have a house, you're not you're you're on a month to month contract effectively, whereas a, a Bitcoin mine like what Riot's doing in Texas. They're, they're spending crazy amounts of money to build a 200 megawatt facility or whatever it is. So that's a big consistent thing. And it's also taking over for places that are like depleted factories or, or you know, like Rust Belt effectively, which is a, a factory was booming at one point and a city was booming as a result. Everyone's gone. The industry's gone. And what, what are you going to put there? You know, you're not going to like build condos in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to put a sports team in the middle of nowhere. Um, you, you're not going to build a mall in the middle of nowhere. There's nowhere, and these people don't have any revenue. So now they have revenue, and there's this, you know, there's this whole kind of cycle that that where you're building for, in a grassroots way from the bottom up. Yeah. Amazing. I just want to go back a step, um, Amanda. You talked about ruled by rules, not rulers. Mm -hmm. So, do you do you see a lot of similar similarities between consensus rules and the Constitution? I mean, it was written with a group of individuals, right? It wasn't written in one person's mind. So to get to that point, you know, took a lot of collaboration and work. And after this experience, I have a lot more respect for the process of writing the Constitution, right? I think it's, um, you know, it's an incredibly challenging task to please everyone. You just can't sometimes. But the way that the the Constitution turned out was incredible in the Bill of Rights. You know, it covered so much with so few words frankly it's pretty it's a lot like the white paper the white right? paper nine, nine pages, pages. Mm -hmm. yeah that's my brother's yeah. my brother works with me now okay and, uh we we've gone through a very slow process of orange pulling him he's yeah. historically a bit of a lefty he'd piss, yeah. be pissed off if i say that but he is and he's definitely come to the center <laughs> but he keeps coming back to me saying he said I, I still can't get my head around the fact that the entire global financial system is being essentially rebuilt on a plan that was nine pages, of which right. one is citations. <laughs> right. Like nine pages mm -hmm. decide this. It's pretty miraculous. I mean, we look at, for example, this infrastructure bill from the summer, <laughs> 2,702 pages, right? Ugh. So it's like nine pages, almost 3,000 pages. It's a very big, big difference. And and I think, you know, that's what makes it so elegant was that it was it was able to do that. It, I don't that brain is or group of brains is incredible. But what's really that. weird, though, is like through the writing process, you you develop a vocabulary that's more evocative. So you're able to use like mm -hmm. to, to trim things. So if I use the word blizzard, 
right? It, it, it implies cold, snow, potentially whiteout conditions, maybe dangerous, hazardous. Like there's all these things. So you, if you say an avalanche, right? Then everybody has these strong words that they understand. The problem with a lot of these bills is they use such plain language that in a way they 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 have to say ten or twenty words to get the point across. To just you know, so when you have the these this time or these other people to shape the words and condense it, then you can make better points, more concise, more direct. And you know, you might say something in six words or eight words that might usually require forty or a hundred. And I think that's where you get into the sort of the picture is worth a thousand words thing. And one of the reasons why Bitcoin is so strong, I think, is honestly because of memes. Because it's like if a, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a meme's worth ten thousand. Because it, it brings in cultural, social, humor, like all these other things at the same time. So it's all this information, and we're using that to our advantage as we're communicating with each other worldwide. And I think the memes and that type of stuff actually helps Bitcoin adoption a lot of a lot of ways because it keeps solidifying things. You don't have yeah. to. I mean, you don't have like our book. I think we we did a word count on the first draft, and it was like fourteen or fifteen thousand words. You know. And, and like, that's, that's cool. Right. But then we were like, okay, can we shrink that down? Like how big does the book actually have to be to be valuable to the people, to our audience? And, and those types of questions, you know, you have to answer in mass where there's eight of us. Right. So we had to sort of shape that whole thing. And that was really interesting because I've never really thought about it like that before, but you know, it's, it's, you can never be too clear when you're writing. You can never be too clear when you're trying to make a point. And for me, uh, it's not really as much of an emotional argument. It's more of a logical argument, like dominoes, like this happens, that happens, that happens. And um, but some people don't don't connect with that. Some people do need an emotional component. They need that motivating. Like we were joking, we we're like, we want people to read it at the conclusion to go, amen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we had some people that were able to sort of create that with their yeah. words. You know, and it was it was really interesting to see that. And who are you trying to get the book in the hands of? Is it staffers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Staffers, senators, congress, congresspeople, governors, any anybody that has governmental ambitions, I would say. You know, but it's more likely a staffer is going to get hold of the book, read it, and talk to the people they work with, mm -hmm. less so than maybe Most a senator likely. pick it sort up. Sort of manage from the way maybe up. Maybe a senator them. could, right? Could, I yeah, think at the state level, it'll be more the representatives and senators, we hope, right, that will read it directly or listen to the audio book directly. Yeah, I mean, the game theory of it's getting super interesting. Mm -hmm. Niraj mentioned yesterday, a lot of the staffers probably own, let's just say crypto broadly but sure, are, yeah. you know it, and if they're owning crypto they're probably protective of bitcoin as well but mm -hmm. a lot of them will be owning bitcoin it's also a super interesting lens uh for watching like for me as somebody coming from the uk seeing how this is playing out in a republic because mm -hmm. you have a different political system you have mm -hmm. the ability to vote at the ballot but vote with your feet as mm -hmm. Yeah, Balaji has often said vote, the vote with the feet is more powerful yeah moving right? moving is more powerful yeah. but you have these incentive structures to support Bitcoin. There's no incentive in the UK. I've spoken to two politicians now and they're like, there's no interest. We don't need to. They don't care because mm. right. they get to create a set of rules that the whole country follows. But you'd have this position where, say, for example, Texas can say, we can be pro-Bitcoin. Miners, you're welcome here. Come here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the states' rights thing is a huge argument. Huge. And you see Warren Davidson and Cruz and Lummis and some of these other, and Rubio and, you know, And we're Suarez. trying to get Dems Suarez, as well, yeah. right? Yeah. And so okay. that's a big piece. Well, I'm going to come to that. Okay. I've got a question on that. Yeah. But, but for me, it's the, the game theory works out here because you have the republic, because you have states' rights. Mm -hmm. And they have different abilities to tax different things or make, like, mm -hmm. for instance, Oregon doesn't have sales tax. 
Like if you buy a car in Oregon, you don't pay sales tax on that car, right? Wow. If you live in in Nevada, you don't you don't get income tax. If you're in Texas, you don't get income tax. So from the state level, you're always gonna pay federal tax, but you pay you might pay a higher you know you might pay a higher uh, real estate tax or something like that. But you have the choice to rent or to own, right? So there's these there's these like freedom issues that come up as a, as a view of states' rights, and so we see like literally some some states are going to take advantage of this and and succeed as a result of their either. Uh, their permissibility or their tax structures or their tax incentives to mining businesses or Bitcoin businesses. And then also just, you know, frankly, from a, from a competitiveness standpoint, like you have New York and California and Texas and Florida and a couple other states like Illinois and stuff like that, that generally lead or Massachusetts that generally lead some sort of discussion because of the population density allows them to have more congressional reps. Whereas the Senate, there's two in every place. And they have a, a little bit more of an asymmetry, you know, in in Congress versus the Senate. Um, so, if the state if the states start kind of competing with each other, the only people that are going to win are the residents and the participants in this in this game, because you're going to go to the place that makes the most sense for you to live. Like you're not going to lose if you keep chasing the best incentives. And so, if everybody keeps raising their incentives, then more people win. It's it's really it's like an evolution. Help me understand as an external person, but. My impression is, <clears throat> sorry, my impression has been recently mm -hmm. the states' rights has been uh, more at the forefront of discussion recently. Mm -hmm. right. Am yes. I right? Is, is that observation you're, right? You're right. And I think in this particular field, you know, Wyoming's led the charge with a lot of the legislation, mm -hmm. a lot of the Bitcoin digital asset legislation. And that has caused, you know, many more companies to at least register there. And that's part of why I moved there, for example, a few years ago. And so... We're starting to see it in that, but I think what it accelerated the state's rights and even county rights, COVID, frankly, uh -huh. with restrictions and and how folks were were working around you know COVID mandates with masks and everything. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of people in Wyoming, for example, moving from coastal states because they you know they want the space, they want to they want freedom, frankly, to be able to to you know, not have to show a card going into a restaurant. And I think, you know, that's the interesting part about America. You can choose, right? Do you mm -hmm. want do you want it or do you want and you can what you were saying, you know, move move with your feet. Mm -hmm. Um so there's been a mass exodus from, you know, these states, not just around COVID, but also around, you know, how much is their state focusing on economic development and industries that they're passionate about. So technology or energy or whatever they're into people are able to move. And now that especially we can work remotely, why would you live in San Francisco? And pay crazy amounts of rent and, and just I mean, have a ceiling placed on your in income. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, you have people shitting on your doorstep. And yeah. I mean, the, the, I just can't kind of get my head around all these videos of groups of kids just going into stores and ransacking them. Yeah, and that's that's been a that's been a big problem. And like in LA, a couple of days ago, uh, well, I mean, this is like I guess we'll say in December, mm -hmm. right? Um, there was a group of fourteen people arrested in Los Angeles for doing smash and grab stuff, and they were released, most of them with no bail, the next day. So w there's no disincentives there, and there's nope. a problem where you know you have a state like California that's got forty plus million people, tons of revenue, tons of taxation, highest taxes, highest energy costs in the country so it's like what's the real incentive to stay there you mm -hmm. know i have a brick and mortar business i'm in a more rural area of california so i'm not really like exposed to that aspect of it but like 
there's people that are moving from, let's say, the Bay Area or L.A. to more like rural areas of California because they do like maybe the weather or something like that. And they're saying, hey, you know what? I'll pay 7% more to have nice weather. Fine. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a choice that you make. But if you're experiencing heavier crime, you know, then like you don't want to live in that area. And then so in general, I would say there's this constant churn with the population because it, and you, it's been a generational thing. So you'd say like, oh, my family grew up here in Ohio or Illinois and they moved to California or something like that. So that's like grandpa mom and then but for someone like me like i've i've lived in florida texas new york georgia california arizona all these different places because of my previous career and you know now it's like i'm looking at it again because of bitcoin to say well you know if i'm going to be a bitcoin person where's the best place for me to be a bitcoiner and we want that to be america on a base level right and not have people moving to malta or barbados or you know salvador el salvador whatever frankly yeah because if you lose those people then you're losing that second and third generation of their their intelligence, their their economic viability or their economic productivity, and we want to keep that here. We don't want to lose that to like. But we're decentralizing them. What's that? We're decentralizing the, well, the we, knowledge we are, and wealth base. What we are doing by decentralizing them across America, as opposed to putting them all in Silicon Valley or all yeah. New York City, and so that is very interesting to me. You see, you see people moving from the Bay Area, right, to Texas to Kentucky, to Wyoming, you know, to Utah, to Colorado, Tennessee. to Tennessee, yeah. to, mm-hmm. to Nashville. Nashville. Frankly, Nashville's been mm-hmm. like a really They've big one coming up. Yeah. And and so, yeah, why wouldn't you want Nashville to win if they're taking the bull by the horns, right? Austin's been winning for a couple of years now because they did take the bull by the horns 15 years ago or 20 years ago with Dell and, and you know, some of these other big tech companies, IBM or whatever, moving headquarters there. So there's billions and trillions of dollars on the line for, for all these people, these citizens, they should vote with their feet. And this is something that like the first time I heard anybody say this, cause it was before I'd read the sovereign individual, I saw Draper, Tim Draper talk at a conference and he's like, you know, people are going to be, he's like, people are going to be, you know, moving with their feet and they're going to be, these countries are going to be competing for the best citizens. Yep. And, and, and I thought, I, so I, I heard that. And then I was like, well, Facebook just bought Oculus. So at some point they're going to do this thing where you could work and drive a forklift virtually, but from the beach in Barbados or El Salvador or whatever. Mm. And if you could live on the beach and drive a forklift and get paid, you know, why would you live in some place you don't want to live in an undesirable place, high crime? And then all of a sudden now it's like this metaverse thing. And I was like, Hey, I was right about something. Yay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it feels good, but it, but you can put the pieces together in that regard because that will be happening. We already have call centers that are offshore, right? We already have pretty soon we're going to have manu- we, we have manufacturing offshore. We're going to have virtual jobs offshore because because of this uh, the oculus thing people are going to be able to like log in through the metaverse thing and that that's going to be facebook is going to really try to commercialize that and and have people running on that program and it, it it's going to be good and bad it's called know? meta now it's called meta, meta. yeah sorry. it's not facebook sorry Apologies. For, the the the, the oppressive artist. the oppressive regime formerly known as facebook <laughs> there you go. yeah, yeah. And I think the states thing is really interesting, too, because you look at the demographics and the spending, right? So at the state level, about 30%-ish of the state budget goes to education. The second, which is just under 30%, is Medicaid. So if you're bringing the best and brightest to your state, which I would say Bitcoin folks are oftentimes the best and brightest, you can attract them to your state and they're earning they will be able to help care for an aging population as well. The whole world's getting older, except you know Africa and a few other um, places. But you look at you know most of the U.S. Most of the states are getting older. We're not having as many children. 
Um, care is becoming more expensive. So it's projected that care of older adults will accelerate, you know, go up 34% from 2020 to 2030. And so when you think about it at that level, if you're a governor, you're at the state level, it makes a lot of sense to you know, create economic development opportunities that bring high earners to your state. Or we just let them all get COVID and wipe them out. No. <laughs> you status cuck. <laughs> that's the plan. Uh, that's, so, uh, that's a very good Bill Gates conspiracy there theory there, right? Yeah. So your time is interesting because it is at a time where Bitcoin has a growing popularity amongst politicians. Mm -hmm. Not always sure whether it's like they believe in it or it's a hack. But yeah, either way, who same. cares if the game theory plays out? Right. Um, you know, we mentioned Senator Lamesh, he's been supported right. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Warren Davison for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mayor Francis. Um, and, yeah, no, Eric Adams from New York. Right? Eric Adams, right. yeah. Yeah, and this whole one-upsmanship with the mayors is really interesting right. too. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it's like, oh, I'm going to take a paycheck of Bitcoin. And he goes like, <laughs> that's cute, three paychecks. And someone's like, my whole paycheck. And someone's like, damn it, why didn't I think of that? Wow, look, New York's lost a lot of people to Miami. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of people during COVID got the fuck out of there and they have no need or incentive to go back. Well, and New York's tough because of the bit license also. So if you have... Bit license, COVID passports, mandates... Energy taxes, energy costs, taxes. Fucking cold this time of year compared to the beach. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of reasons to move to Miami. Yeah. From New York. And there's a lot of reasons not to move back. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively speaking a warm weather maxi. So like I've, you know, lived in California my whole life. I lived in... New York in over the winter and I was like I don't think this would be the place I would want to go but I do see the appeal of New York as a hey. city it's a great city to go to it's it's cultural mm. it's fun it's energy it's all that stuff but you do pay the cost and so it's your choice to pay those prices or or pay less and try to build a new you know version of whatever I mean Miami's a fun city obviously Austin is sort of is a really fun city so and Nashville's a really fun city Nashville's great it's a great city so you have these people that are sort of maybe like those were sort of second tier cities to Chicago and LA and San Francisco and New York and stuff like that over the last couple of years. But as with anything else, you see this evolution as the population ages or the regulations change. And, and, and that's healthy though. That's the whole point. It's healthy yeah. to see that dis redistribution. When people talk about population density problems, mm -hmm. like New York is the definition of that. It's like Tokyo or London or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Like like ruralizing, you know, or or industrializing maybe medium tier cities is probably better because then you're back to the decentralization thing, which is a word in the vocabulary that it was nobody's vocabulary 15 years ago. Right. Uh -huh. It's in everybody's vocabulary now as a result of this. And like Bitcoin really like actually brought that forward. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with Casa's multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets ones that you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can reach out to me over email or drop me a DM on Twitter. I've been a customer for over a year and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. 
Now the football season started. It's been a strange start to the season. Tottenham started well, but obviously they fell apart. Typical Tottenham stuff, and Liverpool are crushing it. But it's a bit tied up there. Other teams are doing very well. Now listen, with Sportsbet, you've got everything covered. Not only do they cover football, but they support tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even have esports. And for new customers, there is always a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, then please head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T. Next up, we have Extra's Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the Extra's team reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is amazing, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address known that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. So where I was going with this, though, the point I did want to make, because I, th- I know you've covered this in the book, or it's something you had to look at, is that it would be it would be really sad for Bitcoin if it became a partisan issue. Right. That's what we want to avoid. Right. And America is very good, especially right now, at being partisan. Mm. Right. Like, you like that? Well, I like this. You like coffee? Well, fuck you. I, I like tea. <laughs> you like yeah. Coke? I like... Like, whatever it is, mm-hmm. America will fight over it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting thing to see, but that would be shit for Bitcoin. Agreed. And there's definitely more Republicans come mm-hmm. around to the idea of Bitcoin, but which makes sense because when I say Bitcoin is a very American idea, it's a very Republican idea too. I also think it should be a very Democrat idea, mm-hmm. but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem like Bitcoin has really captured yeah. the hearts and minds of Democrats yet. Which, which is, is sad because it is one of the few tools that scales on a small level. Mm-hmm. And that's, we have a whole thing in the book about that, basically saying that, you know, the bottom, this is my my sort of, you know, hammering point. The bottom rung of the economic ladder is too slippery. It is mm-hmm. very hard to multiply one times one and get anything out of it, right? So mm-hmm. you're always doing your own thing and, and you're trying, but bank fees, cost of living, all these things are a problem. Bitcoin's, the, Bitcoin's like having the Spider-Man gloves, right? You actually can grip onto the ladder now because you have something that's outpacing inflation by a long shot. You could buy small amounts of it. You can get paid small amounts of it. And you can convert yourself. Like if you're a taxi driver or a barber or a traditionally like, let's say, like skilled skilled profession, like a niche profession, you can, you can get little bits of Bitcoin and then benefit from it the same way Sailor does in terms of like, like he, you can sell your Bitcoin for the same price he can sell his Bitcoin at yep. or whatever. And, and you can't do that because housing is more expensive. All these other things are basically, they're like a lid. They're like an economic lid. And where we see like the sort of democratic on the, on the national level, the democratic regime is sort of like, oh yeah, there's a lid on these people. But we need to worry about decapitating the top people first. Let's do this wealth tax thing or whatever. It's like let's just take the lid off, you know. Like like lower income people pay more in bank fees than they than they get in interest, mm-hmm. right? So Bitcoin has no carrying costs. It's the only thing. It's the only real like high tech thing that you can that you can own that isn't special privileges. And so we go into this whole thing about that because it is, and that is a big issue, right? The typically the the Democrats are going after like the marginalized, you know, in in society. They're not going after the wealthiest. There is a sort of Bezos, you know, Washington Post kind of thing where you do have these hyper wealthy people 
that are doing, you know, they're putting stuff out there, but they are Democrats or maybe they're anti-Republican or something like that. But I think the reason why the Republicans or the conservatives have, have sort of grasped onto it is because they see the financial responsibility angle for the country. You know, they see the sort of spending, printing, money printer go burr, like that sort of thing. And they, they attach it to that and the freedom side to, hey, make your own choices or whatever. And that's that's a very, those things all go together. But the problem is that you, you know, like there's this, on the Democratic side, they have they have programs they want to institute. They have programs they want to bring forth. They, they want to help people, right? But their, their view on helping people is we need money to help people. And it's like, it, so the case for like when Andrew Yang or Erica Rhodes or somebody like that talks about UBI, their thing is like, hey, if we give people the money at the right time directly, they'll be able to lift themselves up, you know? And that's a completely different argument than printing money to create these programs that effectively are like helping things after they've already broken. And, you know, I think the, the Bitcoin lifting narrative is very strong. I think it's a big deal. I'm, I'm going to, I always bring this quote up, but it's a tweet from Parker Lewis, which I think is, it's very interesting. I, I love it. He says, liberals are going to love Bitcoin when they figure out what it can do for lower income families, but Democrats will hate it. Conservatives will love what will love Bitcoin when they figure out what it will do for the budget deficit, but Republicans will hate it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is a really interesting point because right. I think he's identified why Bitcoin can benefit you, whether you're left or right, mm-hmm. but where it affects the each side. Yeah. But why politicians? He's basically identifying why it isn't mm-hmm. great for politicians. Right. Yeah. Well, that's where a, you know Alumis comes in, right? Yeah. And she's she's fascinating. Her husband was a Democrat. They both served in Wyoming. I did not know that. And mm. I think that's why she so innately. So they're tries like Romeo and Juliet. Part. Yeah, beautiful story. Like really, really fascinating um match. And so did they she, have like a secret relationship? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I plead the they fifth cross, on all. They literally crossed the aisle to go down the aisle. Is it? Is it adorable? Go. That's, a, that's a good right? one. I, I like fucking that. love yeah. it. Sorry, doubt. I think that's it's Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Yeah, yeah. Wow. and that's what we need more of. That. So I yeah. think that's why she so naturally works with you know Wyden, for example, mm-hmm. out of Oregon on these issues and makes it bipartisan. Um, you know, some other folks that I think it makes a lot of sense for on the Dem side. You know, understanding where the politicians are coming from. So if they're an entrepreneur like Hickenlooper, I think they'll get it, okay. right? I think they're getting close. And so as, you know, yeah, growing up in Colorado, I bring that up, right? Mm-hmm. Because I have fifth generation. So I have family all over the state, a lot of entrepreneurs from rural to, to you know, urban. And, you know, Hickenlooper, I think, actually can get this at a very deep level. He's always been very pro-innovation, pro-small business, and pro energy innovation. So I think, you know, once he once he and his staff get it, like someone like that would be brilliant to to lead the lead the charge with this. We, right. We need to find some way of like talking to him and his staff. Like maybe we had a book. Maybe if we had a if book. We had a, if we had a book to leave behind a after a meeting to right. like create just, a just, just go here, go here. Yeah. Yeah. Even make it required reading or something like that. I, I well, know. yeah. People keep bringing up Wyden. I don't know. I mean, I I don't yeah. know a lot of U.S. politics in a little bit, yeah. but people keep bringing up. Is he like, is he our guy as well? Well, I, I think I think this is this is where when you get into like the conversations like 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 a Svetsky conversation, which is like 
we shouldn't even bother with politicians, right? Like that's yeah. so I and, and for a for and a long, I can empathize his point. I don't his, agree. His with point it. does make sense, which is to say the, the, the whole point of Bitcoin is to be an independent network, right? Mm -hmm. But when you look at it on the global stage, everybody's tied together, right? Yeah. You're you have the oil trade in dollars, you have people traveling all over the place, you know, you have you have digital nomads or whatever that whatever that means. But there's a big there's a big tie because you have the United Nations and things like that. So it's not necessarily the politicians individually that you're going after, but from a state's perspective, each state has, I would say, like an identity, right? Mm -hmm. Colorado's, for instance, is like it's like a hippie liberal, like hey, you can smoke weed walking down the street, like whatever. You know what I mean? Live and let live. Like, yeah, do like your live thing. and let live. Just don't hurt anyone. Do your Yeah. And yep. so and, and Bitcoin very much is like that that makes sense there, right? So if you see these this sort of the states that I would say have an outside, outsized, outsized freedom perspective because of some sort of thing that they have there, like you have the, you know, uh, don't tread on me or whatever kind of vibe, then the states that are promoting individual rights should all be pro Bitcoin realistically, mm -hmm. you know, and those state, those state identities don't really change maybe as often as the politicians do. So that's where it's a little bit complex because we're talking to individual people in individual offices. So how do we make that a theme intergenerationally for, or, or like campaign after campaign? And that's where we really do see this as like a long-term low time mm -hmm. preference deal. Cause you can't like, whether it's Wyden or Lummis or any of these other people, you don't want to really pin your hopes on one person because you know, things happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And people decide to, to, to walk away. Some of the people that are pro crypto in the, in Congress, for instance, they're younger, they're younger staffers, but those are younger, younger congressmen, but those people could get unelected. They could get bounced by somebody else. But and you have people like Erica Rhodes, for instance, going after like Brad Sherman, who's like super anti-Bitcoin. So all of course all the Bitcoiners are like, Erica's the best, and she's great, and she's awesome. But she's not a career politician, right? Mm -hmm. She's a school teacher, a STEM educator, and stuff like that. So her her like progressive like you know thing is 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 something that we can kind of model to say, hey, if this is successful and she's mobilizing people as a result of this, then like who else around the country is 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 looking at it this way? And so the game theory back to that where you have the mayors right it's jurisdictional competition and that breeds further competition because at some point there will be politicians that graft onto it to say oh we're pro bitcoin because they're going to do the math and say oh we we have a million bitcoiners in the state and i want to win so i want them on my side and the question is is bitcoin a big enough issue for those people to cross the aisle if they're traditionally voting for d or r or i or l or whatever or forward party or something like that are those people going to vote for the guy that basically puts his flag into Bitcoin first or, or whatever? And that's the most interesting thing because we really haven't seen that yet because there's been this disengagement between the sort of traditional, like, you know, super libertarian Bitcoin elements and the, you know, what's best for the country or whatever you want to call it, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin voters. So the Bitcoin voter and the rise of the Bitcoin voter is thematically like yeah. a really big deal. Tens of millions of people now. Mm -hmm. right. and there to serve your constituents. Right. May or may not swing an election, right? And we're going to see that in 2022. We're going to see that definitely in 2024. Um, How so? Well, okay. Bitcoin adoption increases uh -huh. over time. People get it. They send to orange pill other people. Like, you know, with COVID, there was like this commentary early on, what, what's the R factor? Like, how many people are you infecting? Like, you know, Bitcoin's R factor <laughs> is like 15, 20, like on average, right? I don't think there's anybody that goes to work has their Bitcoin and shuts up about it. 
Yeah. Right? right. It's like, how do you know someone's a vegan? Like they're going to tell you, yeah. right? <laughs> like Bitcoin people, like even though it's maybe bad OPSEC, like they're going to explain. I'm the same. Yeah. It's yeah. the, the, uh, you're proud of it. You're, how could you not be proud to be a Bitcoiner if you're early, right? Like it's a big deal. It's vegan, CrossFit, and Bitcoin. And if you've got all three, <laughs> oh. you're a dick. <laughs> you're an you're insufferable. Dick. You're, insufferable. You're, you're the worst person to sit next to on a plane for sure. I think you have to trade one out. I traded out vegan for Bitcoin. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Fuck that stuff. <laughs> um, one of the interesting parts of the conversation I had with Matt Stoller yesterday, uh, not that I wanted to trap him, but his main focus of work is monopoly. Mm. And he's uh, it's like, explained that to me. He said, well, I'm just anti-monopolies. And I think they are a threat to human liberty. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, okay. But what about the monopoly on issuance of currency? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I think, and he, you know, I think America is land of the free, mm-hmm. land of liberty, but mm-hmm. does have that monopoly on issuance like every other country does. But sure. again, it feels like a very American idea to, to break that monopoly on money. Yeah, and right. you have effectively right now one person or two people or three people that really do control the lever. Mm-hmm. And they can either speed it up, slow it down. And that's a lot of power and responsibility. Just look at it like from a, like we take a step way back, way back. How much, isn't that too much responsibility for one person? Too much. It's too much, right? It, it's also, it's a burden, right, to have that much responsibility. So I think the... It's also the like top-down butterfly effect. Yeah. Well, and and what America does, it really does affect a lot of other countries, you know, internationally, Mm. right? And with El Salvador, the perfect example of that is they're on the dollar and they're a foreign country. I mean, we're not even we're not even border to border with them. We're thousands of miles away from El Salvador. So at that point, it's like, but we're we have a dollar influence on them and a lot of Latin America as a result of this this process because when we print the money, that money goes towards you know building factories or paying for things. Or giving loans or aid or whatever offshore, a lot of it does. And there was a commentary during like PPP or the the original like spending thing or whatever, like last year in 2020, that a lot of the money that we were printing was actually going offshore. So three three trillion dollars got got you know put into the money supply in a very short period of time. Parker does a great slide on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fundamental to my sort of Bitcoin 101. But you know we we injected three trillion dollars, which is sort of like a really big word and an even bigger number. Um, but if only a trillion of that stayed here on shore and two trillion left, like what was that really buying, you know, and that influence and stuff like that with the dollar is also a little bit outsized and a little bit unfair and might have unintended consequences from a human rights perspective, which is something that like Gladstein writes about a lot. And he's one of like, you know, he's one of the best people that I think writes in, in that regard about the international effects of, of the dollar and, and, and what that's created. Someone told me a great way of understanding uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. So one billion yes. in seconds, guess how long that is? One billion seconds? Yeah, one billion in, se- in seconds. It's like, if, 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 you know, if I don't know, seconds, like a thousand years? 20. No, it's 31 years. Okay. But a trillion... Is thirty-one thousand years. Okay. Yeah. It go. gives you that wow. concept in terms of time. It's yeah. like it's very how fucking now. ridiculous these numbers are. Yeah. 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 There's somebody did an infographic and it was like, okay, here's a million dollars. Oh yeah, the like the little, the little suitcase. Yeah. 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 And then here's a billion dollars, and then here's a trillion, and like the the guy went from looking like relative, like a person relative stacked size of money. A, a person and a billion dollars are very close. Like re, you know, it's like a refrigerator or something like that. But then a trillion dollars is like you know, a, a stadium or something. It's but these really numbers have lost all fucking meaning. Yeah, yeah. it means all nothing meaning. now. Yeah, but, and I think that's the interesting part. Yeah, yeah we've, with 30, bil- $30 trillion national debt, right, with, with like obviously Senator Lummis had a, she went, she went, I mean, when she said thank God for Bitcoin, 
uh, in the argument that she was having with like, I, I believe it was Yellen, uh, Secretary Yellen, uh, which is the person on the lever. Her and her and Powell are really the two people that can pull the lever at this point. It was great to see her stand up and, and use Bitcoin as a tool to, to, to stand her argument up, which is to say, hey, we need to be fiscally responsible. But it's the same argument in a lot of ways that Ron Paul made in, mm -hmm. in 01 or before that, you know, and I think I think what happens is the first person to the dance never wants to dance, right? The first person that dances on the dance floor always looks like a fool. And this is this is something that's like socially people can understand. Yeah. But the second there's like first they was it the first they laugh at you for yeah, yeah, for, yeah that, that whole thing. And then um uh first they laugh at you, then they uh then they make, I don't know, something. something. They fight they you. Burn, they yeah. fight you, and then you eventually you win yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I think in, in this sense. Unless like, you're Tottenham. <laughs> Bitcoin is a great thing. So the first people to Bitcoin were like dancing all by themselves, and no one else yeah. could hear the music. Literally breakdancing, doing the running man. Yeah, all by themselves, super excited about yeah. it, right? Mm -hmm. And then then the next generation of people or the next group, because Bitcoin's so fast, this has all happened in 12 years. You know, mm. So you have the initial cypherpunk movement, and then you have the sort of, uh, the guys that are interested because they want the freedom side of it. And then you have the, the VC slash number go up crowd. And now you have this whole like, so each of those things builds and then they stay there. So there's still a cypherpunk movement. There's still a, um, there's still a VC movement. There's still a entrepreneurial movement or a freedom movement or a libertarian movement. The, now all of a sudden everyone's at the party like, so what are you in for? Oh, you, when'd you come in? And it's like this funny thing. Like yeah. now it's like the ultimate mixer and you have people that are like boomers you know, the boomer crowd getting into getting into Bitcoin is sort of hilarious because it's it, like you think of like an Adam Back or somebody like that, the cryptographer guy. And then you have this like boomer business owner dude. It's like, hey, you're that Adam Back guy. I read about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, yeah. the, you're the proof of work guy, right? Proof of work guy. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny to see that evolution. And then eventually what, what happens is you make the logical conclusion that we're all more alike than we are dissimilar. And that is really like what we feel like Bitcoin is politically. There's a huge divide. Because people, they come up with these little issues to like fight over like Romeo and Juliet style. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and it becomes tragic generation after generation. And eventually people forget why they're fighting in the first place. But then, you know, eventually the grandkids fall in love with each other from these rival families or whatever. And that's sort of where we're at right now. You know, we have the the grandchildren of, of, of liberty, the grandchildren of the baby boomers, you know, the greatest generation or whatever. Those people are all now active right we're we're coming we're coming into our own financially where our businesses now have excess cash we have a choice do i want to buy uh, you know do i want to risk this do i want to risk that and we see bitcoin as a better risk you know because of the asymmetry and and we see inflation as a reality cost of cost costs have gone up so what are you going to do if your savings are melting like you have no you you don't have that many choices especially if you're lower income we're on a fixed income, yeah, right? Fixed income. So older yeah. adults, fixed income. You know, you look at the care of nursing homes. It's well over, <laughs> I think, over one hundred forty thousand a year right now. Home care, maybe you know, fifty, seventy thousand. Assisted living. You know, it just these numbers don't add up for how people have saved. And, and so that's why it's are going to get become, decimated. Exactly. So there's actually a really cool story of a group of firemen in Boulder, Colorado, a very progressive region. And they, on top of, they got together, started learning about Bitcoin because they're in the firehouse all the time. And they like orange pilled basically an entire fire station. Now it's kind of like trickling out, right? Really? It's so cool. They're, yeah. That's, Holy shit. I need to go meet yeah, these guys. Yeah, I went guys. to the Bitcoin meetup in um, Boulder and met one of these firemen. And he's been on some of the calls with us. Like he was on the Nagoose 
call that we did to talk to the staffer and they're like there there's a group of firemen that are doing this and our you know there are constituents and mm -hmm. it's just a really cool story because you have to make it you know when you're telling things people learn through stories more than facts alone and and i love bitcoiners i think one of the things we miss are telling these stories right uh -huh. you remember stories much more it becomes much more tangible more relatable everyone knows a fireman right? We all know they're usually good cooks, right? Decent people. They're doing it for like, because they want to contribute to their community for the most, like they're usually funny people. Yeah. So it's like you instantly see that person in your head. And so that's why we need to tell more of these stories, right? Well, because it keeps happening. Like We keep getting in these use cases of people who are moving to a Bitcoin standard and it's mm -hmm. changing theirs or other people's lives. We right. And it's not just the firemen. It is what MicroStrategy has done, which is yeah. a, a Bitcoin standard, which right. El Salvador is kind of moving to a Bitcoin standard. In the memes again, what's like when when Bukele he he like did the stonks meme and like. Did all you see the like, phone one? The phone one. No, I this one is like uh, Bukele's just. Oh. Yeah, he did it by <laughs> the div. He said Bukele's just sat in there uh, on his laptop, just uh, buying the dip or whatever, and he just replied phone yeah 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 oh that's <laughs> good that's but yeah, yeah yeah i think that's one of the interesting parts about this is this geopolitical aspect to to bitcoin and to payments and you know the ability to you know even freedom of speech around the world and that's where this becomes really fascinating if we look at el salvador for example i think 30 percent of their import and or exports are done with the u.s now right so they're mm -hmm. kind of like detethering and we're going to see something else happen at the same time with China's central bank digital currency. They've already, China's Blah. already, yeah, with yeah. WeChat and Alipay, right? And then one thing about WeChat's fascinating, Tencent, the parent company, one of their biggest investors was a South African telecom company. Really? Really. And so you look at, okay, well, what is China's end goal? It's probably not for the entire, if they trade with, I think a hundred. They trade with 128 more countries than the U.S. trades with. They're like in volume, and so they're already winning on the trade war. So what's going to happen when they they make all of these countries settle on their CBDC? They've already with WeChat and Alipay been we moving. We fight this. Yeah, Whoa. they've been moving into merchant payments around the world in other countries, and those are basically state-owned entities now that are probably going. I don't know. Theoretically, might go onto the CBDC. And so we look at what's happening around the world. The U.S. is in a very, you know, precarious situation where they're losing their stronghold very quickly. And so what's going to take place of that is probably like a country like China. And so when they're, when they're moving into Africa, South America, you know, that becomes a really different national security and geopolitical issue. And so we have to think, OK, well, OK, if people aren't going for the dollar their other option is the CBDC. Let's give them a Bitcoin option as well, at least mm -hmm. at the community level, right? And so I think that's a really important thing to consider as we move through all of this is it's not Bitcoin or the U.S. dollar. I think it's Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar and, and then it, these yeah. other entities. And if those are the two rails, that's a better that's a better thing for America realistically and for some of these other countries because – Default risk is the biggest problem in in any kind of like lending issue, right? So recently, and what what China's been really good at is when they buy our treasury bills, right? They have exposure to U.S. dollars. They turn right around and use those U.S. dollars to buy assets, strategic assets. So they, or they lend that money, and then they basically lend at a higher rate than they're paying us. So we give them a note at two percent. They turn around and and give the Ugandan Airport Commission a six percent loan or something like that. The Ugandan Airport Commission can't 
fulfill their things. And China says, thank you. Now we, we own, own your, that. We and own your airport. And but like owning an airport is really interesting because you can land things that you own at your own airport. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that we, we've had strategic airports uh, you know, in various theaters around the world. And that's really what's given us as a military power, like first strike capabilities, right? So if China suddenly has a Ugandan airport, like where's the range for that Ugandan airport, right? And then it's like, but if that allows them to get a Moroccan airport or whatever, then eventually are they going to have a Portuguese airport? You know, like this is a big problem. And this is where Bitcoin allows like African nations specifically, if they get with it, you know, then they can say no to the cheap, like cuckbuck loans because they'll have their own just like El Salvador. They could turn around and say, you know what? Hey, we've got a we've got a waterfall. We'll do waterfall mining. If they've got a they've got a volcano, we'll do a waterfall node or whatever. And they can mine there. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. And that's like one of the biggest arguments is that if everybody's participating in that, then it all it does is like it's it's not gonna it's not it doesn't mean that like one country is suddenly going to be the new richest country in the world. But what it does mean is that every country's base level of wealth goes up, then they won't be so reliant on tyrannical regimes or some sort of like predatory lending. I mean, effectively, like when you take a loan from China for infrastructure as an African country, it's like a payday loan. Like you're, you're not gonna be able to pay that back. Because, of course, they know that. Right. But they're so desperate for a high time preference result, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's the problem. So Bitcoin is the opposite of that. And if you coach them through that, then you can see them looking at them meaning like the the rulers of the banking, you know, regimes in these different areas, you know, and if the if they have a populace like Nigeria does that is very bitcoinized, then they're they they cannot they cannot effectively like isolate that class if that class is a majority inside the nation because they will get there will be a there will be a consequence. But we have we're in a high time preference world. Right. Everything is right. high time preference, and we're gradually seeing people win by moving to a low time preference. Mm-hmm. Right. And MicroStrategy is has won. Yeah. yeah and he's won. and he's used the system to he's he's yeah. literally used all the levers of the traditional financial system to make himself wealthier than he ever would have been using using the traditional finance system because he's yeah. had Bitcoin as the extra catapult to get up that extra plateau. And then once you get to that plateau, even a small business like my business, we've been buying Bitcoin, we buy the dip and all that other stuff, right? So if Bitcoin goes up in value, then eventually I could re-collateralize my Bitcoin, I could take a loan against my Bitcoin, not sell it, and then either get more Bitcoin or pay down other debts or whatever else. And then, you know, get, getting back to this conversation we were having offline, if you can avoid debt, avoid debt, avoid yeah. going into debt in the first place, then that's a huge victory. I mean, you have so you have these guys like Dave Ramsey or whatever, who's like a big like podcaster guy in America. Number one investment podcast, right? In, in the and USA. he's like, don't buy Bitcoin, don't buy individual stocks, don't buy this this other stuff. And it's like, well, that might have worked thirty years ago, right? Because it didn't exist. Not now, now Dave. Not yeah. now, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Shut the fuck up, Dave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, let people buy Bitcoin because, like, literally the DCA thing, and this is where like Swan does such a great job. Is they have now they have a calculator in the front of their website. So like if they're like, hey, for the past two years, if you would have put ten dollars in a week, this is what you'd have do. seventeen gazillion pounds. Right. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and you know that fixed. I mean, Bitcoin's just such a such a romantic idea in a lot of ways. And that's I think one of the reasons why politicians sort of sweep it away because they're like, oh, that's cute, dreamers, with your little Austrian economics right. stuff like that. But we have real world crises that we got to fix. And it's but like listen. we have those because of the stupid printing of the money and these other things that we've done, the mistakes we've made. Have led us to the bigger mistakes. 
the more case studies and examples we can build of strong companies and institutions or even individuals just because they change their time preference, the better yeah. the better it is. I was talking to Nick Carter about this the other day, talking about the moment I realized, I think it was Nick, or it might have been Brandon Quidham, or maybe both, but that moment where you realize you're on a Bitcoin standard and mm-hmm. it's not just because you own a lot, well, everyone is different, but it wasn't because you own a certain amount of Bitcoin or even 95% of your wealth in Bitcoin. That wasn't the moment. The moment was when I went to buy, uh, I'm looking to buy a new house and historically it would be, what's the biggest deposit I can put down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the lowest interest rate and when can I pay this mortgage off by? Mm-hmm. Now it's not, it's what's the smallest deposit I can put down? Mm-hmm. What's the longest mortgage I can get at the lowest interest rate? Yeah. Because I want to have that all in Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. My mortgage is a speculative attack against the pound. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then what's the what's the inflation rate of the house price-wise, right? What's the value inflation proposition over the next 10 or 15 years of the house versus the pound versus Bitcoin? So you really have three elements now dictating every decision you make. Yeah. Every yeah. purchase decision is what does it cost me today in Bitcoin? What's that going to cost me in the future? And then what's it, what's the good going to cost me in the future in pounds? What's the good going to cost me in Bitcoin? You know, what's the purchase going to cost me a Bitcoin opportunity cost? And so you're educating people, which is, let's see, that's the that's the firmest, strongest word that everybody can agree on. The more educated Education. the populace is, the better decisions they're going to make. Mm-hmm. Because you start to make more logical decisions instead of desperate decisions, right? And when people are desperate, they make terrible decisions. Right. They, they, they make terrible decisions when they're desperate. And so when you have this, this other element that allows you to slow down, right, low time preference, low time take preference. a better look at things, and have a more cohesive worldview as a result of like the fact that you're you're not in such a panic because you're like okay, right. I've been buying Bitcoin for however many years or whatever. Because five years from now, the people that got in this year, even if they got in at fifty grand, they'll be they'll be sitting a lot prettier. They'll have done their tour service, tour yeah. duty. There you go. Exactly. The, the one, you one become much harder. Yeah. You get yeah. your your battle yeah. wounds. Yeah. And that's that, that's yeah. hard to relate to people though that that are that are new to it. But like when people have been in it for like even I'd say three to six months and they've seen that volatility ride around and they've sort of like, okay, I'm just accepting this, then they're able to get through it. Well, it's a, it's a tough sell to say, just give it four years. You'll get it. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean four years? What That's the fuck? why I think of like, you know, and Bitcoin as a savings technology for early yeah. people, right? Like you're, you're, okay, fine, you keep cash in a savings account. Well, that's not doing anything for you. So at least like, you take a percentage of that savings or all of that savings if you're feeling, you know, if you're you're brave and you don't have, you know, same responsibilities as, as maybe others, you have a higher risk tolerance and maybe think about putting that into Bitcoin. And so it's like thinking of first, I think, savings and then once you get it and I think you start getting it, I think pain is a big teacher. So these ups and downs, right? If you can stomach that and you can ride the waves, it pays off in the end. But we don't learn, humans don't generally learn without pain in some way. And so I think that's the interesting part about this. A lot, you know, so many Americans are in so much pain right now, right? Uh, I think the cost of things are going up. Their kids, you know, it's been tough schooling kids at home for a year. You've lost probably older relatives. Someone's passed away in your family. There's been a lot of emotional, like real pain. And so if you can transfer that into something that's, you know, you're part of something bigger than yourself as well. I think that's why we get so excited about this because we're like, this is so much bigger than just you. It's like when I go hiking in the mountains, it's like, it's a very humbling experience. You're up there. If a storm comes in, you get struck by lightning, that's it. Right. So it's like, 
you're gone, right? Bye well, bye. yeah, maybe. Or you have superpowers. I don't know. Yeah. So <laughs> jury's out. <laughs> yeah. Jury's out. Jury's maybe out. you've been struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't sleep. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it, but it is cool, and I think like the 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 quote is, I believe, come to get rich, stay for the revolution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Came for the gain, stay for the revolution. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think for once you've been in it long enough, then you've met your critical mass of Bitcoin people in their social network. And then, then those those freedom narratives start to go around a lot more when you're when you're not and equality, right? Yeah, like the leveling yeah. of the playing field, the stories that that we were hearing from you know people that didn't that don't look like me, frankly, that we were writing this book with. Like some of the stories that they're getting are totally different from the stories I'm getting, right? So uh-huh. your communities are so different, and just the way that it empowers people. And like we went over everything from you know people of color to. Uh, domestic violence, like we touched a lot of these issues that are very like, it was hard, you know, helping to edit or write some of these things because it's like, oh, this is heavy. heavy. Mm -hmm. And it is heavy. And it actually is a really useful tool for people. And like, why wouldn't you want people to know how to use these things to their benefit, especially in their, if they're in a, you know, they were born into a situation or, or they found themselves in a situation that's much less than the American dream. Well, we need to get this book out in front of a lot of people. Not let the politicians fuck this up for us because they are the threat. They they are a threat, and I think I think their ambition is the threat, right? That's the issue. Yeah. So it's the it's on both sides of the coin because you have someone that can maybe bastardize it by taking it the wrong way. Then you have other people that want to oppress it outright because it it. it it limits their ability to oppress. And Fuck you, Brad Sherman. Yeah. At the same time, you have these staffers <laughs> that are trying to make a name for themselves. And they're, yeah. you know, I think most staffers don't move here because they want to make the country a worse place, right? They have ideals and beliefs mm. and they're here to add value in their way. And they're so, when so cute you, and naive. I know. And when you give them the tools <laughs> to be able to do that and you can speak their language and yeah. help them have these stories or these talking points or these numbers and really like put their head around it and enables them to communicate it in a different way where maybe they didn't have this little tool set before. And, you know, I think if it were easy, someone else would have done it. So I fully expect some people not to like this book and be upset about it, but it needs to be done. And I hope it motivates people that aren't happy with it to write other books, like keep going. You know, this was, this was because we were coming to DC and getting asked these questions nonstop. And so we're trying to address the biggest FUD issues, the biggest misconceptions. And so there's a real reason why we wrote the chapters the way we did and and definitely won't resonate. Not every chapter is going to resonate with everyone and not everyone's going to resonate with like domestic abuse, for example. But some people might and they may be like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. Right. Uh-huh. And so that's the point. There's a little bit of something for everyone, we hope, and and definitely looking forward to getting it out in the world and, and seeing what happens. And I really hope that not just, you know, we we in D.C. make an impact with this, but also at the state level and maybe even the international level, especially these developing countries where maybe the CBDC is coming in, right? Like that's that's a big deal too. Okay, so listen, uh, if people want to get this, how are they going to be able to get it? Have you got somewhere they can register yet? Yeah, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to do a Kickstarter uh-huh. right? and then we're going to have some packages and stuff like that, whether it's like the Bitcoin conference or our book release party and some experiences tied to that. I think I think you're going to do the Metallica concert. Is that right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, so there's 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 some ideas around that. We haven't fully yep. developed that because we were just focused on the book. But um, we do have a uh, we do have a, uh, a Twitter account. I guess it's BTC underscore Coalition, mm-hmm. right? And that's sort of uh, that's where Amanda, Jimmy, and I work as the sort of nonprofit to educate okay. the politicians. Um, we do our website is live now. It should be live. Yeah, I think it's and so, Bitcoin Today Coalition dot org. 
Well, everyone knows CJ. He's been on before. But Amanda, if people want to follow you, also, where do they find you? Uh, Twitter is probably easiest or LinkedIn if it's like more business oriented. Uh, Amanda underscore Cavalieri, C-A-V-A-L-E-R-I. We will put that in the show notes. Thanks for coming on, Amanda. It's great to have you here. Good to see you. Good to see you, CJ. I got to head to New York. Okay. Maybe I'll see you up there. Yeah. In a few days. I love you both. Keep Orange, doing it. Orange Bill, some New Yorkers, man. They're tough. Yeah, yeah they need it. <laughs> they do. Need they it. do with those rising rent costs. Well, yeah, they probably have to show them my uh, vaccine passport first. Yeah. <laughs> Can I talk to you about Bitcoin? Where's your passport? Yeah, right. Well, the, the world's a very connected place, right? And if Bitcoin connects more of the world, more people benefit. So whether that's New York or Jamaica or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully this this creates, like Amanda said, some pain and some friction and some resistance and some reaction. That's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Ladies, love you both. See ya. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, you want to reach out to me, the best thing to do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Okay, see you all very, very soon.